This is Fraser Coffeen. And this is Jennifer Coffeen. And this is a creepy short. Welcome to our first ever Creepy History mini-episode. A small creepy. Creepy short. A creepy short. <laughs> we changed the, you changed the name on me. Oh, it's a creepy short. All right, creepy short. Welcome to Creepy Short. Yeah. How uh, are you? <laughs> so we had this idea to do these creepy shorts. We had kind of thought about them for yeah. a little while. And then our first one here was sort of forced upon us, I would say. Yeah, we made some errors. Things were said in error. Wait, what episode was it? Uh, that was the last episode, episode yeah, three. Yeah, episode three. Um, we talked a bunch about Candyman, uh, and we were really wrong. Just so wrong. So wrong. <laughs> a lot of Every, just incorrect things. Yeah. Pretty much everything that we said there was pretty inaccurate. So um, you don't want to quote us there. Yeah, don't quote us um, ever, to be honest with and, you. But Yeah, but especially there. And, and we decided that this was the time to do a little a little episode to kind of yeah. make things right. So but that's the, the point of this. Yeah, we got because part of the reason of doing this was to do a bunch of research and learn a bunch of new things. Um, and so this was a fun, you know, obviously, like the, we talked a bunch about Candyman in the last episode. And then... The next day I looked it up and I'm like, oh, I was very, very wrong uh, in many ways. But um, then I just started doing much research and it was very exciting. Exactly. Yeah. So we're excited to share that research. So that's uh, that's what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a creepy short. Ooh. Nice. That <laughs> adds you. to the creepiness and the shortness. <laughs> if you're not making um, ghost pandemic whales during <laughs> your 2020 Halloween, I don't know what's what, going on. What are you even doing then? <laughs> But because it's just because it's just a short, the creepy cocktail this week is beer. Yeah, (laughs) nice and simple and straightforward beer. We're putting an Oktoberfest feel into it, Halloween feel into it. Yeah, yeah. So cheers cheers to our beer. Um, We can do better than that. Give me a better. Yeah, all right. There we go. Right, yeah, nice. there we go. Yay! Okay, so here we go. So I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the uh, the story behind Candyman, and then Jen's going to tell us a little bit about the uh, the sort of true history that we uh, referenced and got so bad with, badly wrong last time. But that's okay. Yeah, there was no Cabrini Green serial nope. killer like nope. ever. It nope. Didn't that didn't happen? Nope, that didn't happen. But Sorry that's okay. About that. <laughs> So one of the questions that I – or I guess what started this all was in our last episode. I think it was me who asked the question, you know, is Candyman, the story of Candyman, is that based on some sort of urban legend? Where did that come from? And we very uh, foolishly failed to say a very important name, and that is the name Clive Barker. Very important name. Yeah. So Clive Barker is the creator of Candyman. Um, The author Clive Barker, uh, author, filmmaker, all-around horror guy – uh, he created Candyman. It's from a story of his that came out in 1986. Um, and then it was very famously adapted, of course, into a movie in 1992. And that's where sort of my familiarity and Jen, your familiarity with it really comes in. Yeah, I, I knew the movie first. And then, but I knew Clive Barker, I think, because in the movie I was quite young, probably way too young to be watching it. And then um, I heard about the short story. Like I knew Clive Barker later. And I sort of knew about the short story thing, but I don't think 
think I ever like really put it together. So. Yes, exactly. I think same here. So, and I had actually never read it. I I, I tracked down mm-hmm. the short story specifically for this. It's the first Clive Barker thing I've ever read. He's great. Yeah, can I just say Clive Barker is fantastic. It was very satisfying to read. We also enjoyed his author photos. Uh, if you look at like old photos of him, he's just kind of like nerdy English writer guy, and then his author photos are like. You know, I mean, how do you describe it? Guy going to horror conventions and signing things for horror people. Yeah, you know, like, you earring, know, leather yeah, jacket. Yeah, they, you know, you em- know, embracing it. Yeah, I'm a horror up, director. Rode up on a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah you know, it's good. Anyway. <laughs> So, yes. So, Clive Barker is the creator of Candyman. Uh, Candyman came about in a story that he wrote called The Forbidden. Um, and The Forbidden the Forbidden came out as part of his uh, ongoing Books of Blood series. That's a whole lengthy series of short stories that Barker's done. This one came out in Volume 5 of Books of Blood, um, which is actually, for whatever reason, more widely available than the other Books of Blood series in the United States. They re-released it here in the U.S. under the title In the Flesh. So if you ever see a collection of Clive Barker short stories called In the Flesh, that is, in fact, Books of Blood, Volume 5, and that includes The Forbidden, a.k.a. Candyman. I have it right here from the library. What a glorious cover it is. Look at that. Yeah, check out our Instagram, and we'll have the cover on there. It's really something. It's a good cover. So anyway... So Clyde Barker wrote The Forbidden, uh, I, th- I think wrote in like 85, came out 85, 86. And um, the central idea behind it is it's about a college student who is going to these council estates in England, sort of the equivalent of like housing projects. Mm-hmm. And she's going there in order to uh, do some work on her thesis, which is titled, you ready for this title? Her thesis, Graffiti, colon, the semiotics of urban despair. Wow. And it's a great little detail I love from Barker. I had to throw that in because I think it really sets up what this whole thing is about, right? The central conflict is about, like, this outside observer being like, I'm going to come and study these people. Like, they're, they're, like, as if they're sort of, like, it's almost like they're, like, savages living in the wild. And, like, I'm somebody coming to be, like, you know, a sort of Jane Goodall being like, I'm going to learn the ways of these people. And these are people who live in her same city and probably, like, a few, like, blocks away. Or, or like, just another section of the city. Yes. So it just shows you, I think, how separated everything was. And his, his, this short story was really about class, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's sort of the central theme of it. Very much so. And this idea of this sort of wealthier, um, you know, college student coming into this poor neighborhood and sort of, you know, thinking that she has all the answers very, you know, like, uh, she's the savior. Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of the central conflict of it. And there's this great quote that I really like. She, she learns about a murder there when she's, when she's going and looking at her graffiti. And it sort of – the murder kind of s- sticks with her and she thinks about it a lot. And Barker writes this. I really like it. says, that such an estate be filthy, be hopeless, be a dump where the undesirable and disadvantaged were tucked out of public view – Well, all that was a liberal commonplace, and she accepted it as an unpalatable social reality. But the story of the old man's murder and mutilation was something other, an image of violent death that, once with her, refused to part from her company. So I think that's the idea, right? Once this thing is with her, and once she has sort of thought about it, now she can't let it go, and she's kind of stuck on it because now she's like – 
she she was able to sort of ignore it as like that's just what they do there in this place. Yeah. Um, but now she's like she is she bears witness. She like, bears. She witness. absorbs it. Yeah. And that is what brings out Candyman. He gets his strength from her seeing. So it's actually sort of her coming there that it's her fault that Candyman gets unleashed because she comes. She sort of becomes this witness and she sort of gives strength to this to this sort of spirit of Candyman who then yeah. goes on a murderous rampage. And that's very much with the film as well. Like she sort of reactivates the Candyman legend by getting involved, by digging up the legend. Exactly. And like, yeah, bringing it back. So it's almost like the Candyman can't survive without people you know, talking about it and yeah. And you know, right. Keeping and so, it alive. and so because she comes in and starts talking about sure. it, that's what brings it up. So the film, yeah, the film, I feel like the Jordan Peele movie is going to be very much from what, from the, um, the clip I saw. Yes. That seems, yeah. Like he, he comes into the neighborhood and brings it back up again. Yes. Turns, exactly. Turns it up. That's very much the idea behind the whole, behind so all think the twice before of- you go and start saying things in front of a mirror, y'all. Exactly. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> So, yeah, so they made this movie. That's good advice. advice. I like it. You're welcome. So they made this movie in 1992. Um, It was directed by a gentleman named Bernard Rose. Um, Interestingly, who is not American. He is English himself. He's best known. His best two best known movies. Very different movies. Candyman Uh and Immortal Beloved. Really? Yeah, weird, eh? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Strange. Anyway, he, for whatever reason, decided to move it to Chicago. It's his his. He made the decision to move it over to Chicago and mm. then to set it in Cabrini Green. And by moving it to Chicago and making it a, an American setting and by putting it in Cabrini Green, he then introduced this whole element of race. So again, for the Barker story, it's a class. For the movie, it's very much race. Right. So the main character is a white She's a um, she's not a college student, right? She's like a uh, graduate student. Yes, yeah. Correct. So like a white graduate, you know, female graduate student who is basically going to Cabrini Green to like to learn about their urban legends of you know and that type of thing and study them. You know, same kind yes. of mentality. Yeah. Yes. And and Candyman there is uh, the ghost of the son of a slave who was lynched for having uh, a relationship with a white woman. So there's very strong, sure. you know, slavery and racial undertones and everything. And like Candyman that. was played by the amazing Tony Todd. Yes, oh, who's man. fantastic. He's so good. He's great. Um, but all of that is in is comes from Bernard Rose, the the director of it, and Clive Barker in interviews is very open about saying like this was um, you know Rose approached him about doing it. He, it was his idea. He pitched it, and Barker sort of gave him his blessings and was an executive producer, but really turned the reins over to him and said, you know, you do your thing. Um, and Clive Barker is very complimentary of the movie and of the work Rose did on it. But he feels like it's he feels like you know Forbidden is my take on it, and the Candyman movie is Rose. His take oh, on it. that's great! Yeah, it's you great, know? and he's, yeah. very, he, he's he's totally totally because the movie positive. is really good. It's a very um, good. Movie. I watched like a chunk of it the other day, and I have not seen it since I was, as we said, way too young to be watching yes. it. But um, it's, I mean, you know, again, it's 1992, but it it just holds up really well. Like it's just got really strong things to say in the way that when horror movies are doing their best. They really are a commentary on, you know, society and, you know, that type of thing. And Candyman is just doing it. They're really hitting the right notes. Exactly. I think this quote from Roger Ebert from when it first came out says it says it well. Yes. Sorry. Uh, but he he said he liked he, he was a, a fan of it. He said he likes the, the bit because it scares quote with ideas and gore instead of simply with gore. And oh, I think that says that's it so really great! Well, right? Yeah, and that's when horror movies are doing their best. Yeah. you know, it's yes. when they're really saying something. Yeah, and that's why, as you said, there's a remake coming out. 
uh, a remake slash sequel um, coming out. It was supposed to be out this year, but things have been delayed. Um, that Jordan Peele is the writer of. Nia DaCosta is the director of it. And uh, it seems prime material for Jordan Peele because, again, it, it has oh, something to say. It so, looks amazing. It does. It does. Okay, it but yes, amazing. so that's so that's the story behind the story um, and then the movie and Barker and Bernard Rose. And then to answer one last thing, we specifically asked about the kind of urban legend aspect. It was Bernard Rose who introduced the whole Bloody Mary saying it into the mirror thing. That is not in Barker's story. Yeah, so Bernard the short story Rose doesn't have that. any kind of like Candyman, Candyman no, in the mirror. That's yeah. something that's something that Rose, the director of the film, came up with himself. Yeah. So there you go. Fantastic. All right. So now we are going to switch gears a little bit and um, sort of clean up some of my, uh, you know, verbal mess uh, from from <laughs> last episode. No regrets. No regrets. Yeah. So the last episode, I made a comment about how I thought that um, Candyman was based on like a serial killer in Chicago or Cabrini Green or something along those lines. Um, super wrong about that. But, you know, I definitely, I had, there were things that I was thinking of. And then when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the story. And I'm going to tell you guys about it right now. So um, was Candyman based on a true story? It was not. As we talked about earlier, it was based on a Clive Barker short story. But um, it was definitely inspired by many true stories and urban legends that the director of Candyman and, you know, the writers and um, uh, the actors themselves actually pulled from quite a lot of both urban legends and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, crimes that were happening that had happened around Chicago. So I'm going to tell you about it. The first one we mentioned before was the Bloody Mary. Um, the director, I'm sorry, what was his name? The director of Bernard Peter. Rose. Yeah. So he, uh, that's something that's been around for ages. Uh, the Bloody Mary legend, like saying Bloody Mary three times in the mirror, or five times. It kind of varies. Some people trace it back to um, uh, Bloody Mary. It's not Mary Queen of Scots. It's um, Mary. It's a Queen Elizabeth's. Sister, the fur. Anyway, one of the tutor tutors. Anyway, I'm not I'll, good, I'll I'm look not good that with, up. Not good with my queen. Yeah, history. I'll do an episode on that. But some people think, you know, she was responsible for like the death of like you know thousands of Protestants. So they named her Bloody Mary. Um, you know, there's I don't know. There's many different legends about where that comes from, but it's old. Okay, so one of the legends that Candyman pulled from is the killer with a hook hand. Oh yeah, you know this one. Oh, yeah, of course. This is an urban this is a, legend. This is a classic. Oh sure. Uh, it's an urban legend about a young couple. They're in, um, they're like, you know, quote unquote parking. They're basically making out, you know, in like a secluded area. Suddenly in the middle of this, um, you know, the song goes off the radio. There's like an emergency bulletin on the radio saying that a serial killer has escaped from a nearby mental institution. Always. And he has a hook for a hand. Um there are many, many different versions of the story, but, uh, you know, basically, you know the drill. The girl, you know, gets freaked out. They suddenly hear some scratching noises, uh, like scraping against the car. The boy's like, don't worry about it. It's just a tree branch. Um, but they decide to take off. <laughs> and then they leave. And then when they get home, they see that there's a single hook hanging from the door handle. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. I know, super scary. Now, here's the real scary part of it is that urban legend is um, really based off of many murders no. that actually occurred. Um, I think the time, it started in sort of the 50s. And uh, in 1946, there were the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. 
um, which were happening, you know, basically you know, like couples in park, like parking in secluded areas, like making out or whatever, who were, you know, murdered. Oh, geez. And, uh, and then there were, um, robberies and rape that happened around Lover's Lane in California in 1955. Um, I mean, there, this, you know, this was a thing that did happen. People the- were killed, like in a secluded area at night, you know, hanging out with, you know, boy, like whoever, and then they would get, that's part of the uh, that's part of the Zodiac killers absolutely. deal, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. That wasn't all he did, but that was one of the things one he of, did. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this this urban legend was very much rooted in actual crimes that had happened. Okay, so this one was really interesting. Um, this is about the murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy, and this is a true story that I think this this story itself really seeped into the Candyman film. Yeah, and actually, and actually, Bernard Rose. Uh, acknowledges openly that he has taken from this. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so this is on the night of April 22nd, 1987. So this is only a few years before Candyman is made. Um, Ruthie Mae McCoy is home alone. Um, She calls 911 to ask for help from the police. She tells the dispatcher that there is someone in the apartment next door trying to come through her bathroom mirror. I mean, come on. That's horrifying. Um, She quotes, they throw... Throw the cabinet down, um, she said, and she can sort of, the 911 dispatcher is like, I don't understand what she's talking about, kind of thinks she might be like crazy or like on drugs, and so just kind of doesn't really give it the full attention that it needs. Um, So, unfortunately, the police don't come for quite some time. But McCoy, uh, Ruthie May, was absolutely right that someone was trying to come through her bathroom mirror. Um, so narrow passages between these apartments would allow the maintenance workers, like, access to, like, get back there and, like, work on stuff. Oof. But they became a very easy way for people to break into the apartments by pushing out the bathroom cabinet out of the wall. Um, so... Ruthie May calls. She's telling the dispatcher, like, somebody's trying to come through my bathroom, you know, mirror. And then the dispatcher's like, you know, whatever, and kind of brushes her off. And then a neighbor, and then there's gunshots. A neighbor hears the gunshots coming from McCoy's apartment. And she calls up. I do believe that she calls the police as well. Uh, the police come. They decide not to break the door down, even though... Like, you know, she called 911 and witnesses had said there were gunshots. They decide not to break the door down because they're fearful of being sued by the residents. So finally, and I think this is like hours later, the building superintendent comes by and he, oh, no, 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 this is two days later. So the police come, they don't hear anything. They knock on the door. They're like, I don't know what to tell you. And they leave. A couple days go by. No one's seen Ruthie May. The superintendent finally comes over and drills the lock, and he finds her body face down on the floor, shot four times. Yeah. It's awful. It's terrible. And important to note, you may have said this, I I might have missed it, but but important to note, this took place, this is in Chicago, right? This is in Chicago. It is not at Cabrini Green, but um, it's in the ABLA homes, which were um, like a housing project very similar to Cabrini Green. Yeah. Projects, so they weren't exactly Cabrini Green, but they were very. It was very much the same type of thing right. that this took place. Yes, and so I think this is a real commentary on this story. Is both it's horrifying because this woman sort of like somebody's coming through my bathroom mirror, and of course you're like you're crazy, and she's right, someone was. Yes, and then also the absolute neglect um, for these neighborhoods, these people in the, in the housing projects, and um, you know just 
like not being taken seriously, um, not being cared for in the way that they should be. Yeah. It's similar to some of the conversations going on today. And like, they're more concerned about like the damage that we might do to the door than the fact that somebody might truly need help. Absolutely. So I feel like the people who were working on the Candyman film were trying to highlight some of this in their own way. You know, they were, um, they were putting a spotlight on this within their horror film and it's brilliant because it, people will, they will see it and they will digest it in a way that they might not otherwise, you know, as, as sort of an entertainment vehicle, Yeah, which is why I love that genre. So, um, the movie itself, the Candyman movie contains, um, many elements of this, of the story of Ruthie May's story. So Candyman's first confirmed victim in the film, her name is Ruthie Jean. And she's murdered um, by someone who came through the bathroom mirror. Uh-huh. So, I mean, yep. they're absolutely giving a nod to yes. her. Um, and then the neighbors, they, you know, call her crazy in the film. Like, you know, it's basically a very similar story. Yeah. Um, and then, let's see. Do-do-do. Oh, so I wanted to, yeah. So those were sort of the main things um, that I feel like kind of really bled into the film. Um, sorry, the pun. <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. Oh uh, yeah, but you know, I I really I appreciated. I did not realize, I guess, how much they were trying to kind of showcase um, these this housing projects at the time, and and also you know, as I started doing a little bit more reading after this, realizing myself um, how misrepresented these housing projects in Cabrini Green were. Um, I think as somebody who lived in Chicago. Um, you know, at a young age and, you know, you told sort of your story about like, you yeah. know, we, we were sort of, it was like, don't go into that area, stay away from, you know, don't cross this particular street. Don't, you know, do this L stop at night, like that type of thing as you know, and, and it's really sad to me because I think if you start to really research it and start to, to listen to stories of people who actually lived there, like this was their home. This was their sure. community. And yes, there were dangerous things going on there, but it was also like a really strong, really valuable community to a lot of people. And to kind of just label it in this way of like, this is a terrible, horrible place is a way of also labeling all of those people who do not deserve that. And it, it was, I don't know, the city did not the city did a really awful job with it. Yeah. In my opinion, I completely agree. Um, and just to give you a little background on that. So, um, the Cabrini green housing projects were built in the 1940s and when they were built, um, to help house the thousands of black Americans who came to Chicago, um, to escape the Jim Crow South in the 1940s. And it was like during the great migration. So they were coming, looking for jobs. They were looking for, you know, a future for themselves. They were looking for a a better place. Um, These modern apartments of Cabrini green were featured gas stoves, indoor plumbing, bathrooms, hot water, climate control, um, to offer comfort to the residents through the brutal cold of late Michigan winters. And, um, at the time they were really, really nice places. Um, they really gave a standard of living and comfort to, um, you know, like a working class group of people who were able to afford it. And, you know, they took 
really good care of it. And they were just really strong, vibrant communities. They were, the homes were, um, appeared in television shows like Good Times. Do you remember Good Times? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I watched that all the time when I was a kid. It would come on at like 6 a.m., which of course I was up at 6 a.m. in the summer. And they, so it wasn't referred to as Cabrini Green, but it was absolutely modeled after Cabrini Green. And Good Times was, I believe, in the 70s. I think yeah, so. Of course. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the 70s. And so even, you know, this is the 70s, they were con- still considered like a really, you know, middle, class, working class, good standard of living, mm-hmm. you know, right. to le- be living in these Cabrini Green housing projects. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it, it just kind of shows like that it was not always what we knew of it or what is being said, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, racism uh, really fueled the neglect from the Chicago Chicago Housing Authority, and it transformed Cabrini Green into a really sort of hellish, nightmarish place full of violence. Um, By the 1990s, uh, and Cabrini Green is right next, very close to Sears Tower. Um, So it's like it's like a very affluent areas. And then Cabrini Green is like sort of really close to it. And we should say was because it's gone. Right. Now. Yeah, it is gone. Um, it housed 15,000 people, um, mostly African-American, and they were deliver- living in really dilapidated buildings um, full of crime resulting from both poverty and drug trade. And part of I can I, I you know, don't have the knowledge um, and sort of the background to to tell you these stories in a really, po- you know, in a really good way. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm not going to do it well. I really encourage all of you to check out this amazing book that we have. It's called High Rise Stories, Voices from Chicago Public Housing. It's compiled and edited by Audrey Petty. It was published in 2013. Um, check out your local independent bookstore or any independent bookstore and pick it up because it's just full of stories of people who lived there. Some people who lived there for decades. Um, I think people who live there from like the forties and fifties and, and people who live there like toward, you know, at the very end before it was, you know, taken down and, um, just their personal experiences with this, uh, with this community. And I don't know, it's, it, it really opens your eyes to what was really happening there. Yeah. It's very, very different than what we think. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack in all of this, and there's a lot to unpack in Candyman. Absolutely, Candyman, great. And that's what's so wonderful about a film like that is they bring this up to the surface, so that you know you have this background knowledge, and then you you go out and you can seek the truth of this. You can listen to the stories, you know, they're putting on front and I'm really excited for the new one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that is our, um, you know, makeup podcast. Yes. Yes. Our, our, our mea culpa. We're, we're sorry about what we did before, but hopefully we fixed it. Um, yeah. So we really enjoyed it. Thanks for checking out our first creepy short. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, we'll be back. We'll be back in a couple days with a regularly scheduled episode. So we'll, We'll see you then. Yeah, another Halloween. Cheers. Have a good night.